following message is brought to you by the CD Ministries of Rancho Baptist Church here in Temecula, California. Our senior pastor, Matt Shea, is currently speaking at a men's retreat, and filling in for him today is our elder, Eric Craig, who will be talking about revival. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 1 through 11. And now, here's Eric. I was looking up... Uh definitions of revival, Christian revival on the uh, web, and I found uh, this one by R.B. Jones. Uh, revival is a sovereign act of God which he pours forth, in which he pours forth his Holy Spirit upon his people in a special way, whereby Christians are quickened, backsliders are restored, churches are set on fire spiritually, sinners are remarkably converted, and society is transformed. Does it sound like we need revival in America today? I think it does. Brian Edwards added this, revival is, is remarkable, large, effective, and above all, it is something that God brings about. Though men may prepare and pray for it, revival is the sovereign work, is the, is the work of a sovereign God not primarily for the benefit of the people, but for his own honor and glory. We need revival, but we, when we pray for revival, we need to ask that in submission to God's will that he would accomplish it and do it in his timing and according to his will so that he would receive the glory. I looked up uh, a little bit about the history of uh, revival, Christian revival in America, and you're probably aware of this. The first great awakening was in the 1730s and the 1740s. A couple of people that were prominently identified with the first great awakening were George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. The second great awakening took place in the 1800s, 1800 to 1830s. Charles uh, Finney, Charles Gradison Finney was, uh, was featured in that, Alexander Campbell. Um, the third great awakening was from 1857 into the 1860s. This was a time of great revival during the Civil War, Re- revivals. Uh, there, there was a real sense that people would die in the armies, and so they, they need to get right with the Lord, and uh, especially in the South, but also in the North. Uh, People came to faith in Christ. Uh, Dwight Moody uh, went to the federal troops uh, on a number of occasions, and there were revivals there. Um, The Layman's Prayer Revival, where thousands of Christians took uh, took up prayer during their lunch hours. They had to have lunch at six different times during the day in New York City in order to be able to accommodate all the people who wanted to pray. That was something that happened as a result of God's sovereign involvement. That was part of the Third Great Awakening. There was a resurgence of the Third Great Awakening in the uh, late 1800s. Again, D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday were involved in that. Then uh, there was the Pentecostal renewal, the Pentecostal uh, movement. That started in 1906. Where did that start? Do you know where that started? In L.A. uh, uh, on the Azusa Street revival is where that took place, and that's been continuing on until today. And then in the late 60s through the 80s, and going on until today, there was the Jesus movement. You remember the Jesus people? Jesus freaks? Do you remember those people? Some of you, 
How many of you are Jesus, former Jesus freaks? Not many Jesus freaks here today. Well, I became a believer in May of 1969 in the back seat of uh, a new friend's car after reading a Four Spiritual Laws track. And I was officially a Jesus freak in high school. A friend of mine uh, from high school who lives up in the state of Washington, he used to take black and white artistic pictures in high school. And he put up some pictures on his, on his Facebook website from high school from a church picnic. And so uh, I want to share them with you. Yes, I'm right there. Let's see if we can get a, an arrow up there. That's me. I'm walking. That's a good thing. Unfortunately, it just shows my back. Then there was a great tug of war, and there I am again. <laughs> Shy of the camera. The guy in the hat was the fellow who drove the car in which I received Christ. That's Russ Vinker. Here's another picture of the tug of war. Oh, wait a minute, you can see my face. There I am. And then there was this wonderful portrait on Facebook. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, I don't know. I was snarling at something. I don't know what it was. You know, revival is what I needed then. Actually, I needed revival. I needed to become alive in Christ. But revival is what the church needed in the uh, 1960s. And you know what? The church needs it again today. Turn with me, if you would please, to Nehemiah chapter 1. The big idea, the big idea is that we face an overwhelming problem, but the solution starts with a healthy relationship with God, exercised in prayer. You might want to take the notes out of your bulletin. They're front and back, as is my custom because I don't know enough to stop when I'm doing a good thing. The big idea is we may face an overwhelming problem, but the solution starts with a healthy relationship with God exercised in prayer. Now, in order to be able to understand the book of Nehemiah, we have to understand a little bit of the history and uh, uh, this timeline came uh, is from uh, uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Uh, the captivity took place, the Babylonian captivity took place as a result of great departure from the Lord on the part of the people of God in both Judah and in Jerusalem. And... Um, God used Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian after the death of, of uh, a, a godly king, he used uh, uh, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, to conquer Jerusalem three times because of their unfaithfulness in 586, 597, and then uh, 586. Uh, and um, at the end, the last time, he destroyed the city, he destroyed the walls, he destroyed the temple most of all, and took the people into exile in Babylon. But from that Babylonian exile, there were three returns. 
After the Persians conquered the Babylonian Empire, they had a habit of repatriating people to the, the lands from which they came. And so uh, Zerubbabel led, led back, Zerubbabel and Joshua led back a, uh, a, a large group of Jews from Babylon to rebuild the temple. And they came back between 535 and 515. The second return was under Ezra. He led a group of priests in order to be able to uh, reform the people and reform the, the, uh, uh, the worship at the temple between five, uh, 458 and 456. And then the third return was Nehemiah's return. He came back with a, a group of individuals in order to rebuild the wall. And that was between 444 and 432 B.C., uh, Haggai and Zechariah preached during the first return. Esther was between the first and second return. And Malachi was toward the end of, uh, overlapping with the end of uh, Nehemiah's return. Jerusalem and Judah had been devastated, and Zerubbabel and Joshua and Ezra went back to build the temple and rebuild the walls in the city of Jerusalem. But things had not progressed when we come to Nehemiah chapter 1. We may face an overwhelming problem, but the solution starts with a healthy relationship with God exercised in prayer. Nehemiah 1, verses 1, to 4, 1, verses 1 and 11b. Verse 1 reads, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital turns out that Nehemiah was in the perfect place. We only know what we know about this, about this Nehemiah from what he wrote in this book. He identifies himself by recording his father's name, Hakaliah, which was as close as, as the Jews came to uh, uh, identifying somebody without a last name like we use today. Um, there, were, there are several Nehemiahs in the Bible, and so this distinguished this Nehemiah from the others. Kislev is the ninth month in the Jewish in the Babylonian calendar, in the calendar of the East. It's the November, December. The 20th year is the 20th year of the current ruler, the Persian king Artaxerxes. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, we know, and it's 444 B.C. Susa was the winter palace of the king of Persia. This is like saying today that Nehemiah was in Washington, D.C., in the White House. He was in the perfect place. And he had the perfect position. The perfect position. In verse 11b, we read, Now I was the cupbearer to the king. We have a note about Nehemiah's position in the administration of King Artaxerxes at the end of verse 11. He was the cupbearer to the king. He was the wine taster, not the chief butler who made sure that the wine tasted good. No, he was the wine taster, the wine tester. He was the guinea pig who would taste the, the king's wine before the king was served that wine. He would taste the king's cup, and if he lived, the king could drink. If he didn't live, the king would pass that day. 
um, the cupbearer, as a result, was somebody that the king wanted to make sure was well taken care of. He became close to the king. He, he uh, became a confidant often and, and an advisor. Somebody in close access to the king. Okay, then we have the report. The report in verses 2 and 3. His question about the people in the city in verse 2. Came about in verse 2 that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity in about Jerusalem. And that I, one of Nehemiah's brothers, one of Nehemiah's brothers came, and he and men from Judah. I expect the poverty in Judah may, makes it more likely that Hanani went from Persia and returned with some men from Judah. This can't be certain from the text, but I think it likely. Nehemiah asked what appeared to be a burning question for him. He probably knew Artaxerxes had interrupted reconstruction of the city, and we read about that in Ezra chapter 4, verses 7 to 23. Um, We come then to, uh, in Ezra chapter 4, verse 21, it says, so now, issue, uh, so now issue a decree to make these men stop work, that the city may not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. And beware of being neg- negligent in carrying out this matter. Why should damage increase to the detriment of the kings? Then as soon as the, king, as the copy of King Artaxerxes' document was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their colleagues, they went in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by force of arms. This was a temporary, temporary suspension, but uh, Nehemiah learns now that it's not good. At least he's asking a question about how things are. Nehemiah wanted to know how the people who had escaped the captivity and remained in the land were doing and what the condition of Jerusalem was. The people were in distress and reproach. Reproach is the word there. The people were in Reproach. Nehemiah 1.3 And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. The people are in great distress and evil and misery. The people were in reproach. They were scorned by the neighbors around them. They were taunted by them. It was not good. It was really very bad. Not only were they in miserable circumstances, but they were enduring the reproaches, the taunts of their enemies because the city was defenseless. Jerusalem's walls were still broken down and the gates were, were still destroyed by fire. The people were in evil circumstances because Jerusalem's defenses still lay in ruins. What could be done? The response, verse 4. Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah wept and mourned for days wept and mourned for days. The news hit Nehemiah hard. He didn't weep softly. 
The word indicates here that he wailed rivers of tears. Like the loss of a loved one. Like Everett is probably experiencing right now. Like when I, re- when I watch a movie like Field of Dreams at the end. I'm reminded of my father and I just, I sob. I sob. And it's a cleansing sob, but it, it's a sob. I try to hold it back, but I can't. He mourned, Nehemiah mourned like someone who had lost a loved one. And he did so for days. Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shot of joy comes in the morning. But here we find that Nehemiah is mourning for days at a time. A shout of joy has not yet come for him. He was fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. Fasting is abstaining from food, an intense form of mourning, and an intense and an intense form of prayer. He was so focused that he lost the sense of hunger. He lost the sense of time. He was praying. He was interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. The content of Nehemiah's prayer is what we see in the remainder of this chapter. For us, the big idea is this. We may face an overwhelming problem like Nehemiah did, but the solution starts with a healthy relationship with God exercised in prayer. The solution in prayer. Now, the immediate problem, the plight of the people, the immediate problem was the plight of the people due to the defenseless, defenseless, defenselessness, thank you, of Jerusalem, the wrecked walls. But the walls were destroyed not because of some fault in the construction of the defenses, The city fell three times to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians because of the sins of the leaders and the people themselves, not because of the walls. I urge you, if you have not done so recently, to look at the first half of the book of Ezekiel or just read through it. It's it's remarkable. He just goes, he hammers away at the sinfulness of the people, and that's why... Indeed, Jerusalem would fall, even though they didn't think it would fall. And it was all because of their sin. Nehemiah started his prayers by acknowledging by acknowledging who the Lord is. Verse 5, And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who, perverse, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him, and keep his commandments. He begged the Lord, the Lord God of heaven. The way that it's written in the Hebrew, it's, ah, now, Lord God. Beseech, beg is the sense of this term. And he called on God as the great and awesome God. Why do we pray? Why do you pray? Why do I pray? 
I pray because there are things that I cannot do that only God can do. And I come to him because he is great and he's awesome. I want God to intercede. Do you want God to intercede? Do you want God to do something that you cannot do? That's what prayer is all about. Pray about things that matter to us or should matter to us. We pray so that the great, the awesome God, the almighty one, who can intervene, who can, who can make a difference, that he would do so. This is who our God is. Is this who your God is? And it is he who is faithful and loving. Faithful and loving. Nehemiah came to God and confessed that he is the Lord, that, the, that, the, that God is the Lord who preserves the covenant for the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whoa! Nehemiah clearly did not believe that Israel had lost the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. If I read this right, it would appear that Nehemiah was a dispensationalist. I think he's right. God is faithful to the covenant, even though the Jews are not. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God was faithful to the covenant to to the Jews, not because of their faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness. Nehemiah, the dispensationalist. He has loving kindness, God does. He has loyal love, he is chesed. Hebrew is a great language, you get to clear your throat. Chesed, you have to be careful first row. Um, it's, uh, he has love, uh, he, for those who love and follow him, he has loyal love. We are not Israel, nor have we been given Israel's promises because they failed and rejected Jesus as their promised Messiah. We haven't taken the place of Israel. But we are blessed because we have been grafted into the root of Abrahamic uh, blessings in Romans chapter nine. We're to- uh, excuse me, chapter eleven. We're told that by being in Christ, by being in Christ, by being part of Him through faith, by being part of His body transferring our trust to to what Jesus did for us on the cross. Verse 6, first part. Nehemiah asked God to hear his prayer. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants. Nehemiah asked God to hear his prayer. That is not because he thought God was in need of a hearing aid. It was because that's why he was crying out in prayer. He wanted God to intervene. He wanted God to respond. He wanted God to hear his his requests. It's part of the process of crying out to God in prayer. Daniel 9.17, Daniel prayed in a similar way. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications, 
And for thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. And he was praying day and night, all the time, totally focused on God. He had a, experienced a collapse of time. There was no time for him. And he was submitting as a servant, submitting. He was God's servant, waiting, wanting what God wants, doing what God wants. He was interceding for the sons of Israel, praying on behalf of the sons of Israel and God's servants. He was asking that God would accomplish great things for them. But then Nehemiah confessed sin in verses 6 and 7. The sins of the sons of Israel he confessed. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which thou didst command thy servant Moses. He identified with the sins of Israel. Sin is uh, the noun form of a verb which means to miss the mark. You've heard of that used in sermons before. That's because the, the Hebrew term, the verb means to sin or to miss the mark. Confessing on behalf of the people of Israel, he was not there, but he was not, he was not around when, when Israel sinned in such a great way with idolatry and with their... Uh, with their behavior that they that the city was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. He was not there, but he recognized his own sin and he identified with the sins of his forefathers. They were sins that needed to be confessed, and so he confessed them on behalf of his forefathers. You start with your own sin. You confess your own sin. And then... If there are family sins or if there are national sins, even though they are not sins that you send yourself, those need to be confessed as well. The things that come to mind immediately are uh, abortion. Our country bears a great weight of sin because of abortion. That needs to be confessed. Our nation has sinned. Nehemiah claimed a biblical promise about the land in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8, Remember the word which thou dost command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Unfaithful, they were scattered. Nehemiah calls him to mind the repeated promise of dispersal of Israel departed from following the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.27, And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you shall be left few in number among the nations where the Lord shall drive you. And the Lord did it and was right to do it. But returning to obedience in verse, in verse 9, he would gather them. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Nehemiah calls to mind and prays the promise the Lord made to Israel that if they would return to him, he would return to them. This is something repeatedly given in the, in the Old Testament. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 3, we read, So it, it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the, blessings and the, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all, the na- in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey with him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. He did that for the people of Israel after the Babylonian exile. He did that, I think, in 1948 when he brought the people of Israel back together again in the land, the nation that we have today. Yes, they are not following the Lord, but that revival is coming. That revival is going to come. Nehemiah saw that the problem was not one of organizing a construction effort to rebuild Jerusalem, though he would end up doing that. The problem was one of bringing the people back to the Lord. Do we need that? I think we do. I think we do. Nehemiah identified with the people, verse 10, and they are thy servants and thy people whom thou didst redeem by thy great power and by thy strong hand. They are thy servants, thy people, people. The Jews are his chosen people, his servants. We are not the chosen nation, but we were chosen by him before the foundation of the world. You know Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We are not descendants of Abraham, but we are descendants of God. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And Nehemiah continues that thou didst redeem them. The Lord redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. Exodus 32.11 Then Moses entreated the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why doth thine anger burn against thy people, whom thou hast brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Deuteronomy 9.29, Yet they are thy people, even thine inheritance, whom thou hast brought out by thy great power and thine outstretched arm. And this in light of the Lord's exasperation with the people of Israel. Exodus 32, 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that that I may destroy them. And I will make of you a great nation. And Moses protests, no, they're your people, you redeem them. So finally, after identifying the people of Israel as the ones who have been blessed with the great, the great Abrahamic covenant blessings, Nehemiah finally, in verse 11, makes his request. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants, 
who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man, before the king. He begged the Lord to hear again. God, I really, really want you to hear this. I really want you to respond. Can you hear him? He is desperate. He's in tears. He wants this to happen. He begged the Lord, like in verse 5, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, O Lord, hear. But now we have others praying too. Others were praying too. Before it was Nehemiah praying. Nehemiah 1.6, let thine ear now be attentive and thine, ear, thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying on before thee now, day and night. It was Nehemiah who was praying. But somewhere along the line, somewhere in these days, maybe the wailing got the attention of other Jews. Maybe there were other Jews who were praying about the very same thing when they heard the report. They too were praying. They were wanting God to intervene. Nehemiah was not alone in bringing these prayers before the Lord. Does the Lord hear and answer when one person prays? Yes, he does. Does it move the Lord when many are praying in concert toward the same godly end? It would seem so. Paul seeks prayer of many in the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.25 Brethren, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. Colossians 4.3 Praying at the same time for us as well that God may open to us a word, excuse me, a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. And then success and compassion before the king. Finally, the request. Success and compassion. Only King Artaxerxes could restart the work in Jerusalem that he had put on hold. And that would make Nehemiah successful if King Artaxerxes did that. Verse 21 of chapter 4 in Ezra so now issue a decree to make these men stop work that, city, that the city may not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. He needed a brotherly compassion from the king to reopen the whole issue. Genesis 43.30, And Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred. His compassion grew warm over his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. For us, the big idea is we may face an overwhelming problem like Nehemiah did, but the solution starts with a healthy relationship with God exercised in prayer. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? If not, you can make that happen today. Romans 3.23, for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Uh, and the sentence of, with the sentence of eternal separation from God, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus was sent to die in your place to pay the penalty for your sin, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Have you received God's provision of forgiveness and eternal life? John 6, 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. You need to transfer your trust from your own best efforts to Jesus and what he did on the cross, to Jesus as your Savior. You can do that even now as we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I deserve to be separated from you forever. But you loved me. You sent Jesus to pay for my sins. Jesus, I am no longer trusting in my own best efforts to please you. I am trusting you to save me. Thank you. The big idea for us is that we may, face an, we may face an overwhelming problem, like Nehemiah did. But the solution starts with a healthy relationship with God, exercised in prayer. Nehemiah confessed that he and his fellow Jews had sinned. Is there a sin which the Holy Spirit has been convicting you about and prompting you to confess to God? Perhaps you are convicted about a national or a group sin in which, which needs to be confessed. I'd like you all to join me in prayer right now and take 30 seconds silently to confess whatever it is that the Lord brings to your mind to confess and to be cleansed according to the promise of 1 John 1, 9 if we confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's take a few moments to do that. One of the things that Nehemiah did in his prayer was to claim the scriptural promise and apply it to the situation for which he was praying. Let's do that now. I'm going to show you several promises of God for us in, in the New Testament. Choose one or choose some other one, a favorite promise in the scriptures, and apply it in prayer today. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you need the peace of God? That's a promise. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yes, in this economic downturn, in this depression, if you've lost a job, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. In Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus can supply all the finances you need or choose something else. 
Let's take a minute now and pray for pray a promise back to God and ask him to intervene. Thank you, Lord, for Nehemiah's prayer. Father, he was seeking to revive the people of Israel. We too need you to intervene to revive us and to revive our nation. We ask our Father that you would move us to seek that as we pray in Jesus' name. Hey, we are so glad that you chose to listen to us today. Our mission here at Rancho Baptist Church is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and who live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions at all regarding this particular broadcast or this sermon, or if you just want to know God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to contact us. You can call us here at the church at area code 951-676-2911. That phone number again is 951-676-2911. Or you can contact us on our website at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's ranchobaptistchurch.org. Trust that you have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you walk with Him.